The piece of scripture you just heard read from Luke is um, a wonderful passage of scripture where Mary and Elizabeth meet together, but it contains within it a thing called the Song of Mary, which is often called the Magnificat. Now, the Magnificat has been a tremendous part of the life of the church for 2,000 years. And this morning, you're going to get to dabble with that history for a little bit and not just think about it, but experience it in some different ways. We're continuing a series today called Extraordinary Life. And it's about how God used people in this story, in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, and talks about how these ordinary people, people like Mary and Elizabeth, were called to an extraordinary thing that was going to happen in their midst. And that thing is a person. His name is Jesus. And so our readings during these weeks prior to Christmas focus on what happens in the lives of these individuals before the birth of Jesus. And today's story is one of those episodes. Not too long after Mary became pregnant, she decided to travel south from Nazareth to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who lived not too far outside of Jerusalem, probably in a village called Ein Karim. And there they met and shared together over not just a day, but over a period of months together, their experiences that they were having. Elizabeth, of course, is the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so today I want to focus on the Magnificat and what Mary has to say in this great song of praise that she lifts up in Luke chapter 1. Last week we talked about Joseph and how he had to move from thinking through a discernment process with common sense to using uncommon sense and how the angel would visit him and give him instructions he had never thought of before. Today we want to take the next step in that process. So an extraordinary life involves not only the kind of discernment that Joseph has to do, but it also has to do with what happens in Mary and with Elizabeth and what they place before God. And today we're going to talk about four things that we should be placing before God if we want to experience any sense of this extraordinary life that God has for us in Jesus Christ. The first thing that they place before God is their age. And then everybody moaned. Yes, their age. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and as they meet together, there's this recognition of what God is doing in their life. If you have read earlier in the Gospel of Luke, you'd learn that Elizabeth is far too old to be having babies. She's well past the age in which women would normally have children, and so she represents one end of the extreme. Mary, on the other hand, represents the opposite extreme. She found herself pregnant before she was even married, probably around the age of 13, maybe 14 years old. So just sit with that for a minute. 13 or 14 years old. So you have these two women, one well past childbearing years, and the other one, well, maybe not quite ready for childbearing. God is a specialist in this category. If we were to read through the Bible, we would read stories about Sarah. We'd read stories about Ruth, about Hannah, about King David, about all of these individuals who were not, shall we say, in the prime of their life when God called them 
Sometimes they were very old. Sometimes they were very young. And so when Elizabeth says something in verse 45, we should pay attention. Luke chapter 1, verse 45, she says this. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. So even at Mary's young age, Elizabeth speaks a blessing to her that blessed are you because you believed what God had spoken, even though it was completely unlikely for you as this ordinary woman from Nazareth. How many times in our own lives have we made age a barrier to our usefulness to God? How many times have we said, well, I'm a little too old for that, or I'm a little too young for that, or maybe this isn't meant for me, maybe this is meant for someone else. Every time something falls on the floor nowadays, I'll look around to see if somebody else can pick it up. (laughs) When it comes to our life in God, we need not see our age as liability. Rather, we need to see our age as asset, something that God is ready to use at any moment. So how many times have you paused to say, Lord, take me as I am, old or young, and do something extraordinary, whether I know it or not? That's a prayer of just complete surrender, isn't it? saying that God could use us no matter where we are. As we look around our sanctuary over the last year and a half, we've seen new people coming to our church, have we not? Some of them have actually been younger. <laughs> but for those of you who are older, that is not a liability to this church. It is an asset. And that God can do remarkable things in the life of our church. No matter how old or how young we might be. And Timothy, the youngest in our church, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Right over there. So I thought it would be helpful for us to center on the Magnificat because it's it's been a part of Christian liturgy for 2,000 years today. We're going to experience it in some different ways. And so first way is we're just going to read it together. So would you join with me? This is Luke 1, beginning at verse 46. It's up on the screen. Let's read together. And Mary said... My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is to generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. 
Remember, there are four things that these women all give to God. The first is their age. The second thing that they give in this story is their social status or social standing. Now, Elizabeth was married to a priest. His name was Zechariah, and he performed priestly functions about six weeks out of every year in Jerusalem. He was one of hundreds of priests, even thousands of priests who carried out these responsibilities. So being a priest wasn't particularly exciting or well-known. It simply meant he was assigned to his priestly duties and he wouldn't necessarily be known by name to anyone. Elizabeth married to Zechariah, same situation. Mary comes from Nazareth. The biblical story tells us nothing about her family's background or who they are or where they came from. There's traditions within the church that speak of this, but nothing in the biblical tradition. And then Joseph, we know he's a carpenter. And he also is from Nazareth, but know nothing else about him. Here you have four people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, who we know very little about. But based on what we can tell, there doesn't seem to be anything particularly significant about their social status. Neither of these women are from significant households or from significant places. And their spouses are employed in jobs that are not particularly well-known. But listen to what Mary says at the beginning of the Magnificat. She says in verse 46, My soul exalts the Lord, and, the, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Listen carefully to verse 48. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. See how she holds herself? She holds herself with humility. She holds herself with being a a bond servant of the Lord, if you will. And she recognizes that this great thing happening, this miraculous thing that's happening in her, is from the mighty one, not from herself. That it is the act of God working in her and through her. You know, oftentimes we think that in order to, to influence things or to have an impact or to shape things, we need to have some kind of standing or social status. That there's important people that can get things done and then there's the rest of us. And what we learn in the story time and again is that if we place whatever social standing we have, whatever it is, however old we might be, whatever job we might have, whatever job we used to have, or whatever it is, if we simply lay that before God and say, God, would you take this and use this for your glory and for your benefit? Just like Mary says, great passage of scripture for he has had regard on the humble state of his bondservant taking who we are and saying god i may not have much i may not be from an important household and i may not think i do important work but god i give you who i am and i pray that you would take it up and use it for your purpose The Magnificat has been a part of the church for years and years and years in its liturgy. And so I'm going to invite you to listen now, in just a moment, to one of the earliest versions of the proclamation of the Magnificat. And this is a meditative exercise. So I invite you to just close your eyes and listen carefully to these three and a half minutes in the earliest version, one of the earliest versions of the Magnificat we know of in the life of the church.
minutes of just listening, sitting to a chant in Latin of the Magnificat. This passage of scripture has spoken hope to believers for 2,000 years. And all that we must do this day is log ourselves in that rich tradition and recognize that this courageous song of praise speaks to us deeply today. So we place our age in God's hands, we place our social standing in God's hands, and third, we're going to place power in God's hands. These are two powerful women, they just don't know it yet, and they haven't fully realized it completely. I was looking for some video, maybe a movie or a film that depicts this exchange between Mary and Elizabeth, because I thought it might be good to watch it. And so of course I stumbled upon The Chosen, you know the television series that depicts the life of Jesus. There's an episode in The Chosen where Mary and Elizabeth meet each other, and I said, oh, I'm going to show this video on Sunday. And then I watched the video a few weeks ago, and I prepared the sermon, and I said, I don't think I'm going to show that. So what happens is that Mary and Elizabeth meet together in Elizabeth's home, and they're in a conversation together about what God is doing in their midst. And so then Elizabeth turns to Mary and says, Mary, I want you to write this down. And so Mary goes over to a desk, and she shuffles around with some papers and pulls them out and gets a quill and is ready to write. And it's at that point I hit stop. Because the historical part of it just kind of began to unnerve me. Number one, they don't have paper. They all use papyrus. It's very expensive. It's hard to come by. People don't have piles and piles of paper in their house. But the more troubling part of it, which has to do with the powerlessness of the episode, is neither of these women know how to read or write. They're illiterate. They're powerless. Only the wealthy could read and write, especially women, but not Mary and Elizabeth. These are two powerless women through whom God is going to topple powers and empires, but most importantly, God is going to topple the power of sin through what happens in the lives of these two women. John the Baptist calls them to repentance, and Jesus, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, bring us forgiveness of sin and new and abundant life. Listen to the part of the Magnificat in verse 51. It says this, He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's exalted those who are humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Pretty powerful stuff. It's going to happen through Mary and Elizabeth. Do we believe that God's power like that can happen today? Is it just easier to resign ourselves to believing that the world we live in just won't really change? Can we hold this part of the Magnificat that tells us that he has scattered those who are proud in their thoughts He's brought down rulers from their thrones. Wow. 
And do we believe that God could even use us in that movement? I'm going to ask you to listen to a different version of the Magnificat now. This is a contemporary hymn of the Magnificat. And so listen carefully. It's in English, lucky for you.
The last thing that these women place in God's hands is time. Time. The timing of God's extraordinary work in this story is rather unusual, because when we speak about the biblical history, it's hard for us to grasp. When the Jewish scriptures closed, we were reading stories of Esther, Nehemiah, Malachi, and those happened 500 years before this story, twice as long as the United States has been in existence. That's the gap of time between those final words of the Jewish scripture and these moments in the lives of Elizabeth and in Mary. Luke 1, 54 and 55 says this, He has given help to a servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. God is at work in time. And oftentimes we think that our work is to help God move things along. Friends, God is moving at a wonderful pace. Exactly at the pace everything needs to move in God's time. And our job is to join in that time, is to be a part of that time. Has there ever been a moment in our lives where our impatience with God has grown into doubt and the belief that maybe God isn't going to do anything? Do we trust that God is using time? Friends, today is our time. And it is the time in which God's Holy Spirit speaks to us and invites us to be a part of this story that we are called like these women to place our age before God, to place our social standing before God, to place our power before God, to place our time before God. This is how God works. God works in human beings. Look around. You are the agents through which God is going to move. And that's what's happening in this story. God is moving through Mary and Elizabeth, their children, John the Baptist, and Jesus. And the entire cosmos will be shifted. Do you believe God could use you? Do you believe God could use you? So you join me in silent prayer. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is to generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He has filled, with the, filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to a servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. May the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
From lowly Bethlehem you brought forth the great shepherd of your people. He shows forth your strength and love and brings peace to the world. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ, born of Mary. He scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty from their thrones. He lifts up the lowly and fills the hungry with good things. And by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks to you, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, the Lord Jesus took the cup, and after he had returned thanks to you, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. For by your will we have been sanctified through the offering of his body once for all. By your spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at the heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. And now with the confidence of being the children of God, we are bold to pray our Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.